nobody is right you want to find that area where nobody's working there's no business happening there but there's an audience and 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 that's hard to find sometimes you have to really think about that but the biggest thing that happens or the worst thing that happens is is that the world moves on to something else right and so you have to move with the world uh you're changing uh interests you know you want to be able to stretch yourself and 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 do new things you know so it's it's a moving target and that's you know how how things work in the, in the in the consulting business so when i you know when i was um I started as a graphic designer, you know, bad copywriting. Welcome to the Brand Master Podcast, show specialized in helping branding professionals and entrepreneurs to build brands using strategy, psychology, and creative thinking. What's up, brand builders? Stephen Hurrahan here on the Brand Master Podcast. And in this episode, we're speaking with branding legend, the one, the only, Mr. Marty Newmar. Now, Marty Newmar is an absolute pioneer in the branding industry, and he's the best-selling author of industry classics such as The Brand Gap, Zag, and The Brand Flip, to name a few. And in our chat today, Marty shares his wisdom on how to master brand strategy and ask bigger questions to connect your brand with your audience. So if you want to learn what brand strategy is, how this discipline is evolving, and the skills that you can develop and the steps that you can take to become a brand strategist, then stick around for this episode of the Brand Master Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Master Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted and privileged to have the one and only Marty Newmar on our show with us today. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. Oh, my pleasure, Stephen. This is going to be great. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Now, I, I, you know, I am I'm a fan of of yours, and, and when I say it's a it's a privilege and an honor to have you on the show, I absolutely mean that. I, when I got into design and, and branding, I quickly realized that branding was what I was happiest doing and where I wanted to be. So that's when I started to kind of dive down that rabbit hole and, and learn a bit more and started to, to dig deeper. And that's when I came across the brand gap. And that is what completely opened my mind to you know what branding was all about. Did you ever expect that that book would be so popular and put you on this trajectory to to be a pioneer in the space um well i hoped it would but i i when i wrote it i realized this was either going to be um a home run or i was going to strike out it was you know because i i i, I wrote the book and designed the book in such a counterintuitive way or at least a you know a way that was you know in, in a style that was not typical of business books you know, it's it's short, it's succinct, it's designed. Even the the writing is designed, <laughs> in the sense of being very succinct um, and memorable and quotable and all that kind of stuff. Which wasn't the style of well, it still isn't the style of business books books that you find now. So, I either thought you know people are going to love it or they're going to hate it. And um, when I saw it finished, you know, look look through it after all, all the work that went into it. I kind of just thought, I hate it. I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's good. Um, and uh, I think I was just probably sick of it. But when it, you know, when it went out there and um, people got to look at it and started to buy it, it just shot up the charts. Uh, and at one point, I think probably after six weeks of being on the market, it was number 15 on Amazon. So that's pretty incredible for a business book, mm. uh, especially a different one. Or maybe it's because it was different. I'm sure it was, but it definitely caught people's attention and um, got, you know, um, passed around Silicon Valley where I was working at the time, and um, started to change people's idea of what a brand brand is. So it, it was great for me. And and then what happened is um, um, someone took a, a bunch of slides that I had created of the whole book, really the whole book. Um, and they put it on uh, a new uh, a new uh, website called SlideShare, brand mm. new at the time. And I didn't know about it. And it probably took me two years to figure out that people were getting it there for free. <laughs> so um, I was shocked to see how many views there were of it, thousands and thousands of views, which, you know, that's books I could have sold. Yeah. But, um, but I was 
grateful for it because it actually was probably part of the success of the book is that it got got the word out there, got people reading it and talking about it. And uh, I think by now, if you go to SlideShare, it's there's like um, 25 million views or something. So that's got to wow. be one of the most read business books of all time. So absolutely, uh, that, that worked out beautifully for me. Yeah, uh, well, then, you know, I, I I posted uh, I posted a question in our group uh, just last week about you know what has been the most influential branding book for you and hundreds of, of respondents and by far the brand gap, gap was sitting on the top. So it's been so, so influential to, to so many people. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, it's, it's, it's been going a long time. I mean, it's, you know, people are still buying it at the same rate they were back then. Mm. Um, I've written seven other books on branding and design. Um, but that one uh, still, you know, still the one everyone talks about. So it's funny. Um, yeah. You know, you can't can't get away from your first success. It'll haunt you forever. But haunt, um, haunt you or, or or drive more. And I've I've read every single one of of the others. And yeah, the 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 brand gap is is the one that kind of changed it all for me. It changed the way I think and about what branding really was. And you know, there are so many quotes from you out there. There are so many quotes from different people about what branding is because it's such. It's such a fluffy thing because it means different things to different people. And it, but instead of, instead of focusing on branding and getting another quote from you about branding, talk to us about brand strategy in a bit more mm. detail. So what is brand strategy to you? Uh, it's a long-term plan to outmaneuver competitors through radical differentiation. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say radical, I mean radical. I think what happens is companies believe they're being different because they know that differentiation is strategically very helpful. You know, you don't want to be competing head to head with anybody, um, but they underestimate how much difference you really need um, to, to make it clear to customers that you really are different. So that takes constant work and uh, companies usually find that even if they start out really different, they kind of collapse to the center after a while. They they um, they they become normal. They they become like everybody else because I just think humans are like that. We like to be we like to fit in, and fitting in is not the best way to stand out. Right? No. So so it, it's just it's just counterintuitive for people. So you really have to always. Think about how can we be more radically differentiated, knowing that that's going to appear as just a little bit differentiated to the world outside, since mm -hmm. they don't they don't care what you're doing, they don't know everything you're doing, so you know they're not paying that much attention. You have to exaggerate that difference. Mm -hmm. So when when we we speak about branding and uh, especially for creatives and professional brand builders. We speak to a lot of people who misunderstand what branding is, and they believe that when you have this visual asset and you have, you know, this this website and this this presence, that you have a brand. But in in what you're saying, without that difference, you really don't have anything that's going to really be a draw card for those people to look towards your brand as opposed to everybody else out there in the market. When you, say when you say radically different, how, because of course we see disruption all the time. We're seeing disruption, but with so many businesses, it's, it's so hard for businesses to, to go in there and disrupt all the time. How, how can brands be so radically different? What is the process for, for defining that radical difference? Oh, well, there's no easy way. I mean, this takes a lot of judgment and, um, imagination, courage, a lot of things that are difficult to come by sometimes in business, but that's what you need. I mean, mm. it's not going to work otherwise. Some companies are born that way, right? They have an idea that's just dramatically different from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, it works, right? But if they didn't, if they didn't create that brand um, with knowledge of how to do it, you know, with with solid theory behind it, what usually happens is when they try to repeat that performance, they fall short because they don't know how they did it the first time. It was an accident. Mm -hmm. So they have an accidental brand. They came up with something that was different that they believed in 
And sure enough, uh, they found an audience for it. They found a, a tribe of people willing to buy it. And then when they went to do it again, they didn't realize that they really didn't know how to do it. So what, what this, the discipline of branding does is teach you how to do it um, over and over at will. Mm -hmm. So that's what good brand people can do that. They've done it many times and they've seen a lot and they've worked on different kinds of businesses and they can come in and take a, get a pretty good aim on what you know has to happen um, and help these companies um, because often the founders don't have the, the background or the, the, the framework for creating something new that has the success factor of the original thing that, brought them to the dance. Mm. Mm. And uh, when we, when we, so Zag is obviously another, another absolutely outstanding book that, that you wrote a few years after the brand gap. And obviously the premise of that book is when everybody else zigs, you zag. And I think mm. a, a great way for professionals, for branding professionals uh, to be able to zag is to find an area of specialization. What, what would you say are the advantages of being specialized in a certain area being, versus being more generalized and, and kind of a jack-of-all-trades? Well, I guess the first thing is you reduce the, thre the threat of competition. So um, what you don't want to do is just be the same as everybody else because then the only way to win in that competition is by lowering your price. And, and then that cuts off a lot of options, right? If, you're not, if your profit margins are low, it's just difficult to go anywhere from there. So you end up just working harder and making less money. So you, you want to reduce competition. Uh, preferably, um, you want to become number one in a, in a growing category, mm -hmm. either by starting the category yourself, which is what disruption is about, mm -hmm. or by battling your way to the top. And that's the hard way because usually... You know, brands are perceptions that customers have. You know, that, that's my definition of a brand. It's a, a, a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It exists in customer minds, customers' minds. Um, it doesn't exist somewhere in the company. It's it's an effect of the things that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, to to get a customer to change his or her mind about who's number one in a category is really difficult, right? Mm. You have to do a lot. So it's often easier to um, just start out as, you know, start your own category by, by stretching it in a way that only that you're number one in it to begin with. So that's, that's the idea of disruption. Um, specialization allows you to not compete on price um, and to really get more of the right kind of customers, the kind of customers that are going to take you someplace. So, you know, the, the first thing that people say, if you suggest that maybe they should specialize, they should narrow uh, their, their offering to a smaller group of people, mm -hmm. uh, even, even though that group might be more passionate about what they're doing. Um, so the first reaction is, no, no, we want to widen it. We want the most number of customers possible. But the world doesn't work that way because when you broaden your um, your offering to, to appeal to more people, then you're also broadening it so that you come in competition with more companies. So mm -hmm. what you want to do is narrow it to a place where nobody is, right? You want to find that area where nobody's working. There's no business happening there, but there's an audience. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's hard to find sometimes. You have to really think about that, but it's, it's almost better to find a small passionate audience that isn't being served and then grow that audience rather than say, Hey, there's a large audience. Maybe we can do something like that and go in there and compete with them. Then you just, you're just, uh, you and the, and your competitors are just, um, competing away the profits. You just have to keep lowering your price to win. And, and that's not really what branding is about. Branding, the goal of branding for many companies is to get more people to buy more stuff for more years at a higher price, not a lower price. So you want more people, you want to grow the, grow the business, you want them to buy more of what you're selling for a longer period of time because you really, your profit margins go way up if you have repeat business. And then, you know, you want to get a higher price. 
So if you're constantly lowering your price or feeling a lot of price pressure, it's probably because you're not differentiated enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you think about it, as you said before, again, it's counterintuitive. And a lot of people have this pushback because they feel if they narrow their field, they have less potential business. But in reality, they're making themselves more relevant to that specific group of people so that they'll see them a lot clearer than they would if they were broader based and had broader messaging. So I know that this is a, a struggle that a lot of a lot of creatives have out there when when you know they go into the market as a freelancer looking for business, they they are afraid to narrow that that field because they're afraid of missing out on all of this business. With with all the changes that are going on, and obviously it's a different environment today than when you know you were doing packaging design with with Apple. It was a there's a lot more people out there offering these kinds of services. What can modern creatives do to prepare for the change that's going on so that they can stay ahead of the curve in the coming years? Yeah. Well, creativity, no matter what branch of it you're in, whether you're a graphic designer or a web designer, programmer, you know even strategists, um, those skills can be very powerful, but not by themselves, not as mm -hmm. a general offering of skills. You know, hey, I'm a strategist. You need any strategy? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not going to help. Um, you have to apply it to something. And where you apply it means everything. So if you can find a place to apply those skills where there's nobody else fishing in that spot, um, and it's something you really, really want to do because you're passionate about it, then you've found it, right? And you may have to kind of change that over, over the years, you know, because if once you get successful at something, things happen, you know, people crowd into your space. Um, the biggest thing that happens or the worst thing that happens is, is that the world moves on to something else, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to move with the world and you also have to consider uh, your changing uh, interests, you know, you want to be able to stretch yourself and, and, and do new things, you know? Mm -hmm. So th it's, it's a moving target and that's, that's, you know, how, how things work in the, in the, in the consulting business. So when I, you know, when I was, um, I started as a graphic designer mm -hmm. and then I became a writer because I wanted to control my graphic design and I didn't want people messing it up with, you know, bad copywriting. So I had to learn that. And, um, and then, then I realized that another thing that was messing up my work is bad strategy. I mean, companies with dumb ideas that were forcing me to do something that, that I knew wouldn't work for them. Um, so I had to learn strategy just in self-defense, but it, it was a great thing to, to a great, a freeing thing, because once I understood the idea of strategy, I could actually apply it to my own business and become mm -hmm. more specialized in a way that would make me happier, but also um, look at my client's business in a new light, in a more strategic light. And it wasn't long before they were saying, well, you know, you're doing this package for us. Can you do some strategy around that? Like, you know, so we know that we're doing the right thing. And so I thought, okay, um, I thought you guys were the strategist, you know, you're running the company. <laughs> so obviously strategy isn't as well understood as I had thought. And uh, that, that was the problem, right? Mm. Companies would come with these briefs that, you know, that didn't make any sense to me having done this for a while. So I started um, learning strategy and bringing that to, to the, the design work I was doing. And then eventually started just selling the strategy um, you know, and the ability to connect strategy and creativity in ways that would add up to something important. Mm. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so I, um, I kept, I kept specializing um, yeah. until I finally realized you really have to be different. And so I picked a, a niche that was super narrow, which was to, to be the guy uh, whose company um, designed the physical packaging, uh, well, and, and the graphic design of, of a package that sold software in a store. Right? Mm -hmm. so, and it was tip, it turned out to be mostly business software. So business software in a package in a retail store was that. And, you know, my other design friend said, you're just going to do that? Uh, there, how can there be enough money in that? Well, it turns out if you get 
you know, that was a growing category for 10 years. Mm. If you get a lot of that, you know, so let's say 25% of that business, because you're the only one that's specializing in it, that can be a huge amount of money, mm. a very profitable kind of thing. So, um, and it was, it was amazing. So that sold me on, on strategy. So, you know, this, this idea of narrowing your focus uh, as a powerful tool um, to get more of the business that you want. Mm. And I, I, I think that's, it's important to kind of recall what you said before about, you know, it's not just about putting your flag in the ground and saying, I do brand strategy. It's about applying that to something. And in your case, you applied it to this very, very narrow field, you identified this this very narrow field and you went in there and went all in on this particular area. So that's yeah. you applying that rule. Yeah, you have to, to go all in. You have to prove that you are the expert in that. And yeah. when you start, you may not be the expert, but you're probably more expert than anybody else. Mm. If, if if you've you know identified it right there, that this is something you could really do, probably you're already in the lead, mm. uh, but you need to prove that. And so... You know, I needed to learn everything about uh, what a software package needed to be since no one knew. I mean, they were just making up stuff. So um, what does the front have to do? What does the side have to do? What is the top? What's the job of the top? What is the back for? Um, how big should it be? Is, should it, they all be the same or should they vary? Um, mm-hmm. Can there be creativity in the shape of the box or is that a dumb thing to do? Um, you know, um, how do you symbolize software? How do you, how do you show software? All it is is, a, you know, it's ones and zeros. So, you know, those kinds of issues became important. And so through testing and theorizing and trial and error, we learned how to do this. And then then I could offer that to clients and say, you know, you're, you're probably going to talk to some other firms, uh, ask them if they know about this stuff, ask them mm-hmm. what they know about what goes on each panel of the package, um, how to increase sales uh, using the package, you know? And so um, just set it up in a way that they can never win against you, right? Yeah. Because they won't, they won't have the depth that, that you've got. And you can't really do that if you're doing a million things, if you're spreading your knowledge all over the place, you really need to like bear down and work on that thing. Now, eventually you may get tired of doing that. I did after about 10 years, I just said, I, this, this is good money, but I need to move on. And um, so I used just applied the same principles to something new that I'm mm. going to be a specialist in this other area. And um, every time you do that, you get there more quickly because you know what you have to learn and how you're going to present yourself um, and how you're going to change over time and who the competitors, you know, you just learn how to do it. You get a feel for it. Yeah. You know, uh, something, something that I, that I find that's, you know, it's it's quite entertaining and, and and funny. In our industry, you have so many different perspectives, and because you know, there's a lot of creatives in there. We've, you know, we we tend to to put our foot in each camp, and and a, a few camps that I've seen come up time and again will be the Marty Newmeyer camp versus the Mark Ritson camp versus the Byron Char camp, and all of these disciplines with you know branding. With, with being the, the the Marty side of things, you know the the uh, Byron Sharp being you know really heavily detailed on you know the, the science behind why we buy, etc. What what do you see as the the main difference between brand strategy versus marketing strategy? Oh well, marketing and brand really exist in on different planes in a way. Um, not that one's more important than the other. They're both super important. Um, but marketing tends to be um, uh, more tactical. Um, there are shorter time frames for a lot of it, mm-hmm. not all of it. But, you know, you, it's your job to keep revenues coming in like clockwork, right? And, and to increase those revenues. And that's uh, that's a big job, right? And brand strategy doesn't worry about short-term um, sales as much as, as as marketing. It's more concerned about uh, larger, I would say larger strategic issues, um, larger in, in the sense that the time horizon is longer. Like you're, you're, you're really planning for long-term success. You're making, you're preparing the ground for long-term success. Marketing needs that ground to be prepared. And certainly people in marketing can do branding. 
But in a large company, the head of marketing, the CMO, is not going to be able to do branding for the company too. It's just too, they're, they're just, they require different sort of energy levels hmm. and, and different ways of thinking. So I think you need both. Uh, I think they're complementary. Uh, so there's, to me, there's no war between marketing and branding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, practically people who are in marketing have a, have a better shot of understanding branding than other people. Hmm. Uh, designers actually can understand branding quite well because they're working with it. But they do have to open their mind to um, to the sort of practicalities of business and marketing. So, you, you, you know, all of this stuff is good. Um, but, I, but I would say in large companies, there needs to be somebody um, whose sole responsibility is the brand. If you, if you define the brand as um, something that unifies the customer community, which is kind of the way I look at it, you need somebody to manage those customers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not, you're, you're, your goal isn't to extract as many transactions as possible from your customers if you're a brand person. It's about creating this uh, loyalty in a group of people so that they'll just keep buying stuff from you because they love you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not tactical, it's strategic. And, and so I, I see branding as more on a level with business strategy. In fact, I don't even see the difference anymore. Business strategy and brand strategy have to be uh, swimming in the same pool. I mean, you know, um, at the same time, marketing people have to be brilliant in, in, in different ways and really on top of it. I mean, branding is like playing sports or something. You know, you're watching the scoreboard every minute. Hmm. Um, and, uh, branding is a little more, um, say philosophical than that. Um, and it's more like sort of the bigger moves of of a business. Um, and it's all about customers. It's all about who they are and who they want to become. You know, how do you help your customers become what they want to become? That's the whole thing. Not how can you extract as many, you know, dollars out of their wallet as possible. That's that's more marketing's concern, and that's important too. You don't have a company without revenues. Yeah, um, you don't. You also don't have a company without customers. Mm-hmm. Customers who who believe in you and will stick with you even when you make a mistake. Right. Mm. So um, anyway, that's that's how I think about it. Yeah, and and I I know that you've been a, a massive advocate for us seeing somebody in the boardroom who represents the brand only. So that's the chief branding officer. Talk to me about the chief branding officer. What is a chief branding officer and, and how do you see that role evolving in the, in the coming years? Well, the chief brand officer is um, the person who's speaking on behalf of customers. That's the sort of representing customers to the company and, and vice versa. And, mm-hmm that requires um, the sort of uh, bridging the gap between logic and magic. You know, most companies are, you know, in the last hundred years, companies have been all about logic and numbers and sort of left brain stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, that doesn't get you into the minds and hearts of customers as much as the magic part. The magic comes from um, really great touch points, um, speaking to people in a voice that, that, that goes right down inside them. You know I mean? All this kind of stuff is more like art, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to have both. Yep. So who's going to be responsible for bringing the logic and the magic together? Um, you know, whoever can do that is probably a natural CBO, chief brand officer, now, so the, my poster boy for, for CBOs is Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, his title was a CEO, but everything he was doing was the role of a CBO, the way I look at it. So he was um, all about, you know, which products do we produce and how do they fit together? What's the, what's the architecture of all these brands, all these sub-brands that we have? How do they work together to make, um, to create something more than just the individual products, you know, how do we make one and one become 11? Mm -hmm. He was doing that. He was also all about how do we communicate it to people? Right. So he he was very involved in that. What he was not, not involved in is um, uh, shareholder meetings, um, you know, spreadsheets, the finance part of it. Um, He left that to other people. 
uh, which is a nice, nice thing to happen. But he was the figurehead uh, for Apple in a way. But the reason that worked is because he was all about customers and, you know, how do we, how do we like, change their lives? How do we make them into better people? Um, so that's kind of the job of a CBO. And, and there have been other CBOs like Claudia Kotzka was a CBO without being called that um, at Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she helped create a huge change there. Um, at Intel, there was Susan Rockrise. Um, so, you know, she had to um, so communicate, translate between the audience um, out there and the engineers who were building the products, right? Mm-hmm. So engineers are like, they don't really understand how people, other people think. So she had to always be explaining that to them. Look, here's what we need. Here's what the market needs and getting everybody to work together. So the CBO is really, um, it's a, it's an executive job and it's about how do we get all, how do we get this complex company to execute a simple idea? Mm-hmm. Right. Who, who, how do we get people to play together and collaborate? Yeah. And, uh, in ways that 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 make us richer. Yeah, and I and I love that because it it really is the setting the foundation for what the brand is all about. And a lot of a lot of small businesses certainly they they jump into the you know the the visual part of of the brand and then straight to marketing without really getting clear on what the brand is about, what their message is, who they're really trying to connect with, and what they want to say, what they want to you know, yeah. place in the mind of, of that audience about what they should mean to them. So, yeah, it, well, that's, you know, that's how brand, uh, you know, that's the roots of brand go back to identity, basically, mm. you know, just identifying the, uh, the product, which is pretty, uh, a small part of branding today. So, you know, yeah. t- today you need, I mean, those elements are important. I mean, you have to have an identity, you have to have a tone of voice, you have to uh, communicate with people. You need design. You have to make products, all that. But that's um, not really what people are buying. People are buying some improvement to their lives usually, and and um, you got to you've got to really have a sense of what they need from you, and you have to be able to fulfill that need in a way that nobody else can. So it's it's difficult. It's difficult work. But mm-hmm. if you don't get the big things right, those if those big things aren't in place all the advertising and marketing and selling in the world is not going to get you where you want to go because you're you you don't know where you're going it'll get mm-hmm. you someplace but but where you know yeah. so i think branding is something that um informs the whole company and its customers about what we're doing here together mm-hmm. you know the, th- the three big questions that branding answers are who are you who are we uh what do we do uh, why does it matter? And if, if I were going to add a fourth one, I would say it's how how should we show up in the world? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's it. It's really about clarity. It's about asking bigger questions rather yeah. than 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 just going out there and selling products. Really, the questions that are being answered are, you know, why is this product a good fit for me, and why is this product going to make my life better? And if you're able to get some clarity on that. You know, you you find a bridge to really connect with them and, and step above the noise of of everybody else, and that, and that really takes uh, a skill to be able to do that to find exactly what these people want and how to give it to them in a way that's going to be compelling to them. So, with with that in mind, what would you say are some of the top skills that strategists need to bring to the table, or that people who are in design at the moment they want to bridge out to? or expand it to strategy, what skills could they develop to become a good strategist? Yeah, I mean, I think designers um, can be strategists and they can certainly be strategists in terms of their own work to make sure that it's strategically sound. Um, they have an e- equal chance to get there, that, um, as do other kinds of people, people who are in leadership roles or marketing roles uh, have mm-hmm. an equal chance to get there, you know. But I would say, um, you know, there's some meta skills that are nice to have. Um, those are skills that allow you to learn other skills quickly. So okay. curiosity would be really important. Mm-hmm. Curious people do better at strategy. Uh, imagination 
right? It's not strategy isn't about checking boxes or making lists or anything, although you do a lot of that. It's more like, can you imagine a future that that doesn't exist right now? Mm -hmm. And then you need judgment. Uh, You need critical thinking skills. Uh, You need to um, be able to be objective about things and use numbers when uh, when numbers make sense and 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 use intuition when intuition is is more useful. Um, You need to become an artist of the possible. Yeah. So. Um, then, you know, I mean, just the practical skills that could go into it, um, you know, are marketing and design, writing, uh, leadership skills, storytelling skills. Storytelling skills are huge in brand strategy. You mm-hmm. have to be able to tell a very simple, compelling story that illustrates your difference and and how you're going to make somebody's life better. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is really good for that. And do do you ever get uh, questions from uh, from customers about what the ROI of branding is? Because I know that me personally, I've I've come across this before. I know that uh, you know a lot of people in in our group they get talking with clients, and today with so many metrics available for digital marketing, you know mm-hmm. the, the ROI on this, and it's very easy for business owners like that to to chase those metrics so that they can get some kind of guaranteed return on investment. Do you, have you, have you come across that question before? What's the way of branding I and know. how do you answer it? Well, I think you should try to figure that out. I mean, you, you know, you, the simplest answer is you, you get a brand accountant and they'll tell you what your brand is worth, you know? So Apple's brand is worth, I don't know, 65% of their, the uh, valuation of their total total company. Coca-Cola is up there somewhere too. I mean, it can get pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could be like Microsoft was around the turn of the century. They were, um, I think their, their brand was worth 17% of the value of their company. So obviously branding wasn't the reason Microsoft was successful that, you know, they were losers at branding, they, but they had a lock on the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like brute strength is what yep. they had. And now since their brand uh, got sort of behind, it's a struggle for them because they never invested in that and they don't have the lock on the market that they used to have. So um, I think branding is, is going to give you more ROI than just about anything. Um, um, but, you know, you, companies can work around branding. They don't, they don't necessarily need it. But I think the best companies, the, one that last, the companies that last a long time, typically have strong brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, in my book, the brand flip, I've got um, a way to measure brands. That's very simple. Anybody can do it. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It'll give you a really good uh, heuristic about how your brand is doing. And it's based on the the real things you need to measure. You could hire a brand accountant. Um, uh, There are lots of little measurements you can use and um, new ones are coming out all the time. And, and the, and the, the evidence for brand being very powerful is is coming out uh, slowly over the years, but you can even see it in its effect on on stock price. You know, um, it, it's quite remarkable, actually. So, mm-hmm. um, I would I just think if you know how to do branding and you've got the the framework in place, um, the infrastructure in place to do it, if you really grasp it, you can really do a lot with branding. And I think, again, Apple, great example of how to use branding um, to really increase your profit margins to the max. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with so many different disciplines out there within marketing and branding, we can, you know, we could go on for days. We've got designers, we've got copywriters, we've got social media managers, Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. marketing strategists, SEO writers, and and we we seem to be developing this broader understanding now of the port the importance of strategy. So a lot of them are turning around and looking internally as to how they can bring brand strategy into their world, so that they can take what they do and make it more effective. So for yeah. for professionals like that, designers, copywriters, social media managers. What would your advice be to them to, uh, you know, the first thing that you would do if you were in their position, you know, being an executioner on, on a certain area, what would you do to, to kind of step more towards strategy so that you can improve those services? 
Well, I think the first thing to do is is um, decide and make the decision that you're not going to do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest thing um, because we all like to do what other people are doing, especially if they're successful. We want to do something like that, right? <laughs> but that's not how how it works. Strategy is not about copying other people. It's about mm-hmm. being original in some way that matters. Yeah. I mean, mattering is the new marketing. That's the way I always think about it. It's like, if you matter to people, that's going to be so powerful. And then marketing becomes easier. Selling becomes easier because um, you don't have to really sell. They come to you, they find you, you know? So um, how do you do that in your own business? Um, there are many ways, but and but the way you do it should be unique. Uh, and and so then then you start to think about, well, okay, here's something I could do that nobody's doing. Is it really a good idea? Do I really want to do this? Am I going to mm-hmm. be happy doing it for a long time? So you got to ask yourself some sort of deeper questions like, like that. And then if everything looks good, then you throw yourself into it and just realize that even if this category you're inventing doesn't exist, that doesn't mean it can't exist. But you have to do the work to bring it to bring it out to the world to make it into to shape it into something um, that people can see. You know, it's about cutting cubes out of clouds. You you take something that seems amorphous to people and you make it very distinctive, and then you can offer it. You package it, and then you can offer it. Um, and uh, I think there's just nothing more rewarding than than bringing something new to the world instead of just competing with other people doing the same thing, and then you know, getting, turning bitter because you, you know, you don't get any respect. You know? mm. <laughs> I, mean, so that, I went through a period like that is like, I know I'm better than these bigger design firms, but they're getting all the b- big clients, you know? Well, that's because they're doing something that those big clients are attracted to. And um, the way you can beat those bigger companies is by doing something that maybe is too small for them to take on. Maybe it's just like they can't make any money doing that. So they're going to succeed by being bigger, you know, or having more offices or, you know, having a track record with working with giant companies. But um, I mean, that's the situation I was in when I decided to design software packaging. Um, I was up against some really big companies but I found that it was very easy to win in the, in those sorts of shootouts where, you know, they have to choose some firm. Uh, when I showed them, you know, here's how you do it mm-hmm. and look at the success I've had, look at the increases in, in sales patterns. Uh, when I do that, do these packages, it's the certain way. And then I start looking at those big companies and going, well, you know, they're big companies, but they don't seem to know anything about this specialty. So, since our product matters, matters to us, we're going to have to go with the best. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is the, the wonderful part about that is if you do have a specialty like that, you can charge uh, more for it. In fact, you have to charge more for it um, if you want to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. If you've convinced someone that you are the, the specialist in this, you need to have a price that's commensurate with that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you have to raise your price. I'm sorry to tell you that, but you have to raise your price. You can always, you know, you can always negotiate downward if you want to give them a good deal, but you have to set your price. Your anchor price should be pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my price for, I always kept the price for my software design at the highest. If I heard someone was charging more, I would, you know, maybe add another 20% to that price. And um, I never found that that discouraged um, clients, uh, usually it attracted them, but they would be the first to say, Oh, well, you know, we can't afford that. And then that might open a discussion into uh, what, why, why is that? What kind of prices are you seeing? Um, and maybe you could say, you know, if I, if, if we did it a different way where I could maybe get the price down 20% with that, with that help. Um, and you know, you're playing with a huge profit margin margin that even if you, you know, cut it in half, you would make more, more money than anybody else. Uh, so, so that's a great feeling that, that can only happen when you're differentiating really strongly. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. that's why a- Apple's profit, profit margins are huge because no one can do products like they can with such beauty and, and sleekness. Um, they're chic products. Um, mm. And every, everything they do is just at a higher level. And this, 
it requires that they charge more for that, but also it makes sense to people that they charge more for it. It's, it's attractive. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to keep you here all day. You've got, uh, you're, you're there on your, your Sunday afternoon, but I do want to ask you one more thing about strategy versus execution. So, you know, you, we will find, uh, you know, marketing firms, branding firms out there who will do, uh, you know, do absolutely everything from brand strategy to identity design, web development, you know, Facebook ads, execution. What are your thoughts on strategy versus execution? Do you believe that the strategist should be involved in the execution of how the brand is is expressed in the market? Or do you see these things as separate where, you know, you get to focus on the meaning of the brand and allows somebody else to go and execute on, on that strategy. So the assumption there is that strategy comes first. And then you, once you have a strategy, you hand that off to someone who's going to execute it, some designers or creative people. And then they make, make it, you know, they, they make it real so that it can go to market. Um, that's really the wrong way to do it. <laughs> so I think the way to do it is a strategy and execution have to happen at the same time they have to be intertwined so it's great if if the team of people doing it the strategists and the creative people um really know each other and can um and can look out for each other and make sure that you know this strategy can be executed in some really cool way and also the designers can keep the strategists from doing something that's so boring that they'll never be able to save it so i think they they each have to know something about um uh, each other's work. And I would say that, you know, ideally there would be a strategist, a head strategist and a head creative person working as equal partners. Mm-hmm. That's the way to bridge the gap between the logic and magic that I was talking about. So that worked really well in the advertising world back in the fifties uh, and sixties when the, when the, the uh, creative team was born, where you had a copywriter and a designer working equally and where they almost finish each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that can work the same at the strategy execution level. Mm-hmm. And we may not be able, we, we may not be talking about two people. We may be talking about two teams that have to work together, Yeah. but I would really advise against um, doing the strategy first, then the execution, because you've sealed off so many avenues when you say, this is what we're doing now, take us there. Uh, it makes execution a tactical thing instead of a, a, an equal partner. And uh, I know from being a designer and being in a lot of these uh, collaborative uh, sessions with people that designers come up with ideas that strategists might never come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And so why wouldn't you avail yourself of those ideas so that strategy is informed by more possibilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... so- if you have the the teams or the skills at your disposal to have them involved from uh, from early on, so that they can have yeah. their input as to how this brand might be executed on the outside, it's a, some some great advice. Listen, Marty, I I, I really uh, I thank you for for coming on the show. Now, if if anybody wants to get in touch with Mister Marty Newmar, how do they how do they go about doing that? What's the best place to get you on? Where's where's your your most active platform? Well, I've got two. So one is my author um, website, and that's just martynewmeyer.com. Yep. And then if you're interested in learning more about branding and expanding your skills, stretching your abilities a bit, um, I'm, I have a, um, a firm called Level C that's teaching branding. So I think it's the only company that's teaching branding specifically from the point of view of people who have done it. Yep. Um, and you can be certified in, in some uh, specialties and work your way up through that. And we're adding more classes all the time. So that's levelc.org. Uh, .org. Yeah, you can see what we're building there. And I think we've got, you know, we just started a couple of years ago, but it's um, doing much better than we imagined. Uh, um, it's very gratifying. But we've got, you know, I think, in six months, we'll probably have a, a thousand graduates of our various master classes, and they're working their way up from a basic understanding of branding and how to work together on a brand team, all the way up to potentially becoming a CBO. Yeah, yeah, and 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 look, I can I can 
uh, vouch for that. I've I've uh, jumped through the the first level. I was really hoping that because I know that you started, you know, doing those world tours and and you know having the the physical classes. And unfortunately, we uh, we we all got cut off with uh, with COVID. Uh, but hopefully they'll they'll return to the physical environment uh, before too long. Is that is that what you're hoping? Is that you're hoping That's to get what the we're show, hoping. show on yeah. the road again? Yeah, we want to uh, do more live classes because we think it's just uh, people need that. They need to to meet each other. I mean, part yep. of this, part of it is um, the people that you meet um, can really help you. You can help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just enrich your whole experience of branding. When you meet other people, it's a little bit harder when you haven't ever sat with them at a table. So we, we want to do that, but we also, I mean, I'm grateful for the pandemic in, in that way that it, um, taught us how to teach online. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's bringing it to a lot of people who c- couldn't necessarily, um, get away from the office to go, you know, to go to London, let's say, and take a class for three days. Um, so the expense of it. And then the, the time away from the office becomes difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I'm going to do it both ways. Um, and um, they both have their their advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely looking forward to uh, to getting back into the classroom, wherever that may be. Maybe it'll be London. Maybe it'll be Sydney. I'm not too sure. But, uh, but I'll definitely no, be looking it's forward to be, catching up with you. We're, we're, we're hell-bent on getting to London to finish our Masterclass 3 uh, in March and mm-hmm. then April, we're going to be in, in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. And so that's it for the live locations. Uh, we, we, we started doing them in more far flung locations, you know, try to really reach out and get to different, uh, cities, but it, we couldn't get large enough classes to make it exciting. So we, we've got to force people to come to major hubs, uh, to do this. But uh, for those people that can't do that, we do have the online classes, and uh, that's been great. Um, yeah, we've really enjoyed teaching them. So, yeah, it's been it, it. It yeah, we've been we've been kind of thrown into to the situation, but you know we've we've all learned very quickly that you know this is it's not too hard. We can all do it. We've all got these computers, and just like you and I speaking on literally the opposite sides of the world, you know, you just yeah. you just get into it and. You you, yeah. you you roll your sleeves up and get on with it. And when you get to know people from your class or whatever who live in different parts of the world, you can think about collaborating with them long distance over yep. Zoom or whatever. And a lot of our uh, graduates are doing that. They're forming little alliances with other mm-hmm. people so that they can accomplish things they couldn't do on their own. Um, and so, you know, the nice thing is that this these uh, classes give you a framework for working together. So if, if you understand brand in the way that I've talked about it in my books, anybody else who understands it that way um, can can easily collaborate and you'll be on the same page. You won't be arguing about definitions of things. Yeah. <laughs> Marty, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, really, I really appreciate you, you taking the time. Um, and I really hope to catch up with you at some stage with that next level C and uh, I'll look forward to meeting you then. Uh, Thanks so much, Stephen. It's been fun. Thanks, Marty. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more brand strategy techniques to level up your skills, make sure you check out brandmasteracademy.com. There's plenty of free resources and premium content for you to download and get you going. If you'd like to join our Facebook group full of like-minded brand strategists all learning from each other, then find us by searching for the Brand Strategy Community, where you can find exclusive content for members as well. If you enjoyed this content, please be sure to give us an honest review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listened. And make sure you tune in for the next episode of the Brand Master Podcast.